Welcome back to the Platform 24 member podcast. I'm your host, Chris. And on today's episode, we have a very special special guest, uh, one of our great partners of the Startup Ladies, Kristen Cooper. Kristen, hi. How are you? I'm great, Chris. How are you doing? Good. In the, in the current circumstances, I'm doing good. Yeah. Likewise. Staying healthy, both physically and psychologically, and happy to be spending time talking with you. Great. Thanks for joining me. Um, so the startup ladies, why don't you give me kind of the elevator pitch of what the startup ladies are? Yeah, we are a professional membership organization with two goals. We want to increase the number of women starting up scalable companies and fund them. And we are open to all genders. Uh, we know that solving those two problems will take decades to get to the point where there is no longer gender disparity in the startup space. And we've got such an incredible trove of resources, uh, investors, experts in all the different things that a, a startup needs. So we want to make sure that people who are part of our community have access to those people and to those resources. So that's why it's been so awesome to partner with Platform 24 because you have your gorgeous co-working space in Carmel and you've got such a nice community of entrepreneurs and professionals who are working for both local and national and I would imagine international companies. So it's awesome that we get to do some events in your space and while we're living through COVID-19, we're, we're doing some of those things virtually. So that's us. Great. So um, what kind of what, what's a little bit about your background? My background, professionally speaking, uh, I group into three categories. I'm 45. And in my first 20 or so years, I was a nonprofit fundraiser. So I am from the East Coast. And then after I graduated from Penn State University, moved out to Santa Barbara, California with my then boyfriend, now husband, so he could work on his PhD in history. And I started raising money for the University of California at Santa Barbara during the dot-com real estate and biotech boom. So it was a great time to be a fundraiser when money was flowing. And it was comparatively easy to raise money, even for things like what we would call in the higher education realm, unrestricted uh, purposes, meaning there wasn't a scholarship or you weren't allocating money to a building. You were raising money for causes that were to be determined. And yet people were excited because they believed in the institution and, and business people understand operationally things come up that are sometimes unexpected. So from there, I moved to Indiana uh, with my husband in 2004 and he uh, became a professor at IUPUI, and I started fundraising and continued that for a few years and then uh, got into technology and spent time learning how to build technology. And uh, while I, I did not hold any position formally coding, I, I have taken a couple of classes at 1150, just to have an understanding of what the beginner processes are so that I can have uh, good conversations with developers and with designers. And then um, 
after having spent a few years in technology, ended up launching the Startup Ladies. And uh, we began just as a group of women getting together, wanting to learn more about building scalable companies and building technology. And it morphed into a for-profit company. And, uh, you know, now we have close to 200 members. We are in Indianapolis, Bloomington, and Terre Haute, Indiana. And we're working on scaling outside of the state of Indiana. So uh, our company provides uh, five things, really. Uh, community for startups. And, and we are a magnet for uh, women, people of color in the LGBTQ community. I identify as being part of the LGBTQ community while I am married to a man, could have gone either way. So I happily waved the rainbow flag. And in fact, it was just announced today that Indie Pride will not be doing the Indianapolis Pride Parade this year, which is so sad, but the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but one thing I will tell you just as a quick side note, uh, we were just in Inc. Magazine and it was... It was really fun to talk about Indianapolis being a startup town. And you can spend a full hour with a reporter and they'll just use one quote or maybe they won't even use you at all. They just needed you to give them background information about a topic. However, from that conversation, Kate Rockwood was the author and had a, a an artist do a rendering of the city of Indianapolis. And they must have gone to our website and seen the startup ladies marching at the Indianapolis Pride Parade and did this incredible rendering of a group of us at the Pride Parade. So we're holding our startup ladies banner and, you know, pride flags and all these great signs that one of our board members, Kim Saxton, made for us. And so we were represented in that. And I just thought, oh, my gosh, like I cried when when I saw it. I was like, this is so incredible. So I'm super sad that we can't be a part of it. Uh, blown away by the art and uh, will totally do anything that we're doing virtually. But anyway, I digress. So anyway, I was saying that we're a magnet to a group of people who are often underrepresented and under-resourced in the startup space. And to quantify that, in 2019, there was 136.5 billion, and I'm saying B as in boy, billion dollars invested into startups in the United States and women founders received less than 3%. Hmm. Yeah. So you can definitely see that, that divide of, of where the money is going now. Yes. There is enormous gender disparity and there are many reasons for that. And so my company, the startup ladies understands the disparity and also understands the opportunity And instead of just being frustrated and angry about it, we are providing these five things. So community, education, typically in person and online, uh, mental wellness for entrepreneurs, uh, mentorship, and then access to capital. And that is an enormous obstacle, particularly to women, as I just denoted. So those are the five things that we are focused on. Uh, within the startup ladies. And I love how the startup ladies, it's it's just this like giant support system. Like you have all these different facets, but yeah. at your primary core, it's just to see and talk to another person who's, you know, 
has gone through what you've already gone through as a, in, a, in a mentorship way or has the ability to talk, you know, give you that networking, which is so important in entrepreneurship. I just, I, I just, I just love the positive message and it's not this, you know, you know, for, for your brow and, and, you know, why is this happening? And we're going to protest against certain things. It's like, we're actively, you're actively doing something to help change the status quo and change small businesses and entrepreneurship and people's lives really. Right. We consider ourselves to be everyday activists. So it's understanding the problems in lots of different spheres and then being purposeful about building meaningful and trusting relationships with people who have both money, influence, and access so that we can work with those folks, bringing them into our fold, help them understand the problems that exist and get them to become our allies and open doors. Um, and that doesn't mean that there aren't plenty of people who don't feel angry or burdened. I mean, we do. However, what we also know from a how do you grow a business is understanding in the midst of a crisis, in the midst of a, a space where a lot of people can feel angry, what's the opportunity? Much like the the COVID crisis that we're living through now, a lot right. of business plans were just, they were really just decimated. And the way that companies were built were founded on one methodology of making money. And we have a, an entirely new marketplace now. And so uh, most of us are being forced to pivot in some way so that we can respond and, and keep people employed and, and ultimately keep growing. Yeah, definitely. So, so talk to me about the membership. I'm, I'm looking at the site. There's four kind of, I guess, tiers or categories of memberships. How do people kind of join up with the startup ladies? So it's funny, Chris, when we first started, again, we were in existence just to be there for one another. And as we gained traction and collected feedback, we became more purposeful and targeted. And so I think from the perspective of our listeners, the best way to explain this is we have like you said, four primary groups, first and foremost, the entrepreneurs. And whether you're working on a startup, have an idea for a startup, or let's say you've been in business for a few years and, and you're ready to grow, you're ready to scale. You're someone that we work with every single day. Then we, because of our entrepreneurs over the years telling us, you know, I, I was not born into a family that hobnobs with rich people. I don't have a network of people that can write checks for five, 10, 25, 50, $100,000. So what we knew for sure was that we needed to create a network of people who had the financial capacity to write checks. And the second part of that was teaching them about startup culture and the process of investing in startups. So the second category of member is an investor. And these are not professional investors that work for major VC companies. These are people who they made their nut, they're financially stable, they are wildly supportive about wanting to invest in women founders and they become a member so that they can learn how to invest. They have the exposure of all different types of founders building very different types of companies. And then we teach them from operating agreements to the different types of investment vehicles they are to you know, what should your first conversation look like with a founder? What are the things you should be looking for? And what are the flags that 
you need to be aware of. And, and so that works really well. We've got this community of entrepreneurs and investors. Everybody's learning together what to do and what not to do. And then we're, we're putting them together. And then what was kind of cool, Chris, after a couple of years, um, actually, I should really say a couple of months, we had some companies that were watching what we were doing and saying, hey, how do we get involved with this? Because the people that you're bringing together could be our clients. And we thought, yeah, that makes a ton of sense, right? You have the entrepreneurs and the investors together. So naturally, all of those folks are going to need attorneys, accountants, software developers, designers, marketers, people can advise in marketing, PR, and do print work. So there are just so many positive ripple effects that somebody with an idea can have. So you go from idea to uh, understanding the competition to let's start collecting feedback to determine what the, the target market should really be to let's get the first concept to market and and then iterating from there to ultimately get to product market fit. So it made sense to have these three groups together, the entrepreneurs, the investors, and support service companies. Then we had a group of people come to us say, hey, you know, I'm none of these things, but I really like what you're doing and I'd like to be involved. And I would joke that they're either closet entrepreneurs or closet investors because they're, sure <laughs> they're not ready to, to make a commitment, but they want to be in this space and try it out. So we said, okay, well, we need to create a way for them to be involved too. So those that maybe they're tangentially in the startup space or they're just curious and want to learn or have nothing to do with it, have no ambition to do anything in it. However, they want to take some of the methodologies into their industry. So it's it's a robust space with a diverse group of people that add a lot and allow us to learn. And it's not as hard now when we trip or when someone says no, because there's a whole community of people rallying around you, helping you understand, was the no because, you know, they... There, there are a million reasons for the no. So it's it's people being there for you to better understand the no and, and how you pick yourself back up and move forward and, and go out and do what you need to do to either grow your client base or to secure the funding. Right. So this may be a, you may not know this number, but I mean, how many people are involved? Is it just, is it just like an infinite, like you have no idea how many you know, with, with members and investors, and you said the, the closet entrepreneurs, I mean, <laughs> it, it just sounds like, it, you know, I could, I could run into anybody who could be in contact with you guys. I think that because of a combination of it was, uh, there was such a deep need and this didn't begin with, Hey, we should build this business. It was hey, there's a, a really big problem out there. And women, people of color, the LGBTQ community, we are not be tr being treated the same way. We, we don't have access to education. So it, was, it began with just one person helping another person and becoming more organized and purposeful over time. So I think that helped us build a lot of goodwill in the community and beyond. And I'll, I'll either write an article for the Indianapolis Business Journal or I'll speak at an event. And I usually have people come up to me and say, hey, and this took me a while to get used to. They would say something like, 
yeah, I've been stalking you and I, I really like what's going on. And it was, uh, I understand that today that term means I've just been observing what you're doing, you know, through social media and maybe reading your work or maybe hearing you speak. And so even today, you know, I, I will get emails from people that they're just watching and it's kind of like, they're just glad it's going on, but they haven't had a reason to get involved yet. So in the last two years, I haven't spoken with anyone either in office hours or when they've reached out. I haven't had to do that initial, here's who we are and what we do, because I think in some way they've, they've heard either about us or maybe they know somebody who's been helped. And, and that's great. That's great from a, a, a local perspective. And frankly, we'd like to be known by so many more people so that we could help them. And, and that would be great for our economy, right? Because if we have more people that are wanting to be executive mentors, and we've had, oh gosh, hundreds of people that have been so generous and, and supportive by way of adding their expertise to our community. And I will also say this, Chris, one of the things that I think I learned from being in academia for over a decade, and I was raising money for them, but I got really comfortable always being not the smartest person at the table. There was, if you're at a table with an academic, like they're going to be an expert in something and they've, they dove deep into something and, and they're going to know a lot more than you. So I got really comfortable being around people who were much smarter, who had traveled further, who had done things I had never even thought about. And I loved being in their presence and I never felt threatened. And I think it was that that made me have a deep appreciation for those who are true experts. They have taken the time to get the education and then they have practiced whatever it is that they do. And so when we bring in executive mentors, they're not professional speakers or just authors. These are masters in their fields. They own a company or they have risen within the ranks and they are speaking to whatever it is that we're covering that night. So one example I'll give you is mental wellness is something that is very important to me personally and is something that surfaced, I'd say, in year two of the existence of the Startup Ladies. And what would happen is after our events, we would have these things called startup study halls where we would bring in the executive mentor and they would talk about one thing. So let's say it was learning about your TAM, SAM, and SOM from your total addressable market to, you know, your sales addressable market. How do you go from really big to narrowing the market you're going to target target when uh, you begin selling your product or service? And be a great event. And then, you know, we'd be walking out, we'd be cleaning up, putting, throwing food out, cleaning up the space. And then we'd be walking out and, you know, I'm always schlepping something. I'm always carrying something to and from my car. And it was, it was actually from the time we'd be wrapping up to my car, which is where some really important conversations took place. And 100% of the time, somebody would come over and be like, Hey, let me help you with that. I'd be like, Oh, yeah, thanks. And, and then um, I'd say, Hey, it's, it's good to see you, you know, what's going on with x or how are you? Or, you know, I, you know, since last time I saw you, uh, you mentioned you were going to do x. What's happened since then, it would be that general of a question. And wow, um, 
people went deep fast. And I can't tell you how many cheerful conversations there were in the parking lot because people just kind of let go. They felt safe and they didn't have somebody else that they could really talk to. And it was happening so frequently that I went to my own therapist and my board and I said, Hey, um, I keep making people cry. I don't want to break them. Uh, can I talk to you about what I'm doing and can you coach me on what to do differently? And again, having been in that sales fundraising background for a long time, it's really common to, you know, go to a mentor and say, Hey, this is what I'm doing. Let's role play this and let me, let me change my verbiage or I'm doing something wrong. Well, it turns out I actually was doing something right. And I was just creating a safe space for people to talk. But to be honest, Chris, it became too much for me. I started becoming an unloading zone for too many people. And while I was glad to be able to be a shoulder, um, I, I don't have a background in psychology. And what I knew for sure, having been to a therapist for you know a couple of decades and, and really appreciating the expertise of a psychologist, somebody who has a PhD in psychology or or a psychiatrist, somebody who has a medical degree and is able to prescribe medicine, what I knew was that those experts were better suited to deal with some of the problems that were coming my way. So from there, what I did was I just documented all the problems people were talking to me about, of course, with no names or nothing specific. And I came up with about 75 different issues. And so I worked with two psychologists that had PhDs in psychology, and they said, categorize them for us. And then we'll do it the right way. So I, in an almost comical way, was grouping them together. So I was doing triage and then I sent it to them. And some things I got right, some things I got wrong. And from there, we developed programming that focuses on mental wellness for business. And so if you think in terms of like a business class, you're, you're deconstructing case studies constantly to understand what worked, what didn't work. This person did this right. This person did this wrong. How is it applicable in whatever you're doing now? And how can you take what you learned and apply it to your current challenge and be better for it? So we took that approach. We understood what some of the main problems are from anxiety, depression, power dynamics, gender dynamics, um, the topic of resentment, which is a fascinating topic. Uh, and what we did was we just started creating programs that let's say would focus on anxiety. We'd come up with four questions that uh, we work with uh, Dr. Lynn Hines and she would say, you know, big level, we're talking about anxiety this evening. And she would begin each uh, mental wellness for business program by explaining the big picture, the chemistry of the brain. Uh, then we'd kind of offer a, a bigger picture question, and often she would provide a, a case study and then just opened it up for conversation. And we were very clear that this was not group therapy. This was not one-on-one -on -one therapy. This was classroom learning, and we were trying to approach solving some of the things that were just burdening people and, and preventing them from moving forward. So that to me is, that's what we're about, right? It's tapping into the expertise of people who mastered in something, bringing them into a community of people that are here to learn. There, there's no ego. Like when you come to a startup companies event, we may do a couple where we dress up a little bit, but most of the time it's after work. We're 
we we have full lives. A lot of people work full time and are trying to start up a business. So we're we're not the glamour group. You're not going to come to us for a Vogue cover. Well, uh, <laughs> I, I say that. I, I shouldn't say that. Maybe, you know what, if we do Vogue, we're just going to do it our way. And it's going to be maybe with there less skills and, and, and less foundation and just more real. <laughs> right. So, um, and again, this is women, men, transgender, people who identify as something non-binary. We're open to everybody. So I think the culture that organically was created, it, it wasn't me saying this is what it's going to be. It just happened. And then we're like, yep, this is, we like this. This is healthy. This is very welcoming and inclusive. Now we're going to purposefully continue to do that and and make sure that people understand if you're going to come into the community, you know, we expect you to treat people in a particular way. And in we're going on six years now. I have only ever had to address two individuals. Um, one came in and was just super salesy and another person just did something that needed a little bit of addressing. But aside from that, it's, it's just been a really supportive environment that has allowed a lot of entrepreneurs to excel, to grow business, to increase, increase their client base and, and secure funding. So there's That's your fantastic. very long answer to that simple <laughs> question. <laughs> That's fantastic. And I, and I love how you guys are really looking at every kind of aspect of of business and especially with mental health like people don't realize that if you're you know working yourself 14 hours a day 7 days a week and you know you don't have that outlet to talk to somebody it can start to really you know weigh on a person and you know from personal experience having that safe space to you know, like you said, you're not, it's not group therapy. It's not uh, individual therapy. It's just people, you know, doing thought experiments and educating themselves right. and saying, you know, and do I need to get more help or is this something that I can talk with somebody personally about? Or, you know, is it something I'm overthinking? You know, there's all those questions that go in people's minds, especially, you know, about anxiety and depression. And overwork um, yep. that having that just casual space of hey let's hang out on a Tuesday night get together no pressure nobody has to stand up in front of somebody and say I'm here and this is my problem but just to start thinking about themselves you know that that I hate the, to use the term like uh, um, uh, what is it called self-care which is, yeah. I think is overused, but I mean, like, you know, really kind of looking and saying, I need to, you know, go in a different direction or talk to somebody or, or that kind of thing. But so right. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. You do um, something that a lot of people don't talk about, Chris, which is we're really strategic about business models, but we're not strategic about the mindset and psychological being of the leader of the company. And we should right. be just as strategic about the the state of mind of the person in charge of the business and up till now it's just kind of like when i get to it i get to it or worse when i have a crisis that's when i'll get help and i think so many entrepreneurs building startups came out of toxic corporate cultures they didn't want to do it again and the thing is how can we expect a great leader to understand human behavior and to not repeat a bad behavior if they've never been trained on 
how to behave the right way. You can be hypercritical of somebody doing something the wrong way. That doesn't necessarily mean that when you're in that situation, you're going to do it the right way in the future. So it's like you said, it's it's bringing the awareness and a cognizance so people understand that part of my responsibility as a business owner is to make sure my brain is healthy. And the yeah. only way to do that is to have a consistent regimen of opportunities to understand the self and the human behavior of everybody around you. And if you don't do that, you will be doomed to fail. And whether that's you personally within your family structure or your business, you're going to struggle. And, and, and all of us will struggle anyway, even if we have therapists. However, this is purposefully saying, if you don't have that in place, it's going to be that much harder. And, and people, you know, they're just like, Oh, thank God. Right. It's about damn time. And I mean, why, why don't we have, we have um, math, art, science, English, social studies in elementary school, but we don't have mental wellness. Why aren't we teaching children from the time they learn how to speak to better understand themselves and people around them? And the simplest example is how to make friends. When, when you ask an adult, how do you make friends? That's a hard question to answer. I mean, I'll ask you, how, how do you make friends, Chris? Yeah, right, right now, who knows? <laughs> Right. I mean, there's there's when you stop to think about it, you're like, well, like if somebody said, well, when you go out to eat, like, what's the process of that? What's your standard operating procedure? Well, I go into the restaurant, I sit down, I I get a table, I get a menu, I order a drink. And then based on the menu of choices, then I order something. Right. But nobody actually says, well, okay, you know, kiddo, we're going to go and there's going to be five kids. And what I want you to do is go say hi to them. And then you know, ask them to play with you. And, you know, how do we teach kids to deal with conflict? How do we teach them to deal with rejection? Well, we don't. And then they're just, they're just bullied in some form or fashion for decades. And then we expect that they're going to be a great leader, even if they've got an incredibly high intellect or even a, a high EQ. That's just silliness to me. That would be like saying to somebody who like watched House for, you know, all six seasons and we'd be like yeah well you should go into diagnostics in the medical community because you watch that show and you seem to enjoy it that's ridiculous no you have to say that's great that you like it and now you have to go be formally trained so that you would know what to do so um i i think that we i think very few people even have that awareness yet i think the next decade what we'll start to see are i don't think we will I don't think we'll have CEOs. I don't think we'll have presidents in place, like as in of the United States, unless they've gone through some type of of training to make sure that they understand how to maintain mental health and create environments where people can also maintain their mental health. Yeah. And I and I think what we're seeing now is the acceptance of 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 mental health and, and talking with people. And there's this there's not so much stigma of, oh, you know, I think, you know, the old term of I'm going to talk to my shrink. Um, yeah. I sound like the Sopranos, but, um, but <laughs> we're, 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 those, those barriers are breaking down and we're seeing that somebody who is talking with somebody about their, their personal mental health, maybe they don't have, you know, a major quote unquote issue. 
but it's it's still nice to talk to that person out of context you know out of context of their their everyday life bubble whatever that is yeah. and it's improving you know every other aspect it's it's all it's you know as important as getting enough exercise and eating right like it's like those three pillars of uh of being healthy include your head, your brain, your your mind, what are you thinking? What are you feeling every day? Because that affects your relationships. It affects your family. It affects, um, you know, when you're sitting alone on the couch during a pandemic and you have nothing to watch on Netflix anymore. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, yeah. it, it, it's, it has all of these different, different kind of cascading effects down. Yes. Um, so speaking of the pandemic, um, yes. COVID-19, um, so let's talk to me about how startup ladies traditionally was always kind of a, a big in-person um, event events. How have you pivoted to social distancing and, and kind of moving everything online? So this was easier than I thought it was going to be for a couple of reasons. You're exactly right. We became who we are because we spent so much FaceTime with people. And in fact, there's an anthropological term called deep hanging, which means that you spend time with either a person, a group or a culture for an extended amount of time so that you really understand the problems, the opportunities, inferences, uh, the way people say things, mannerisms, all of those types of things. So I think it's because we, again, organically, we're deep hanging with so many members for so long that now we build a community, right? So that's kind of cool. So we had, since I had spent time in technology and because we had built and launched an online learning platform back in 2018, and that's thanks to Lessonly. We actually use their platform. We load our content onto their platform and branded as Startup Study Hall online. Uh, and, and I thank Max Yoder for that. He's, he's been incredibly supportive. So since we had the online learning platform, we had already built the community. Now it was just using the technology we already knew how to use. So we went from having, which is a bummer because Platform 24 is so pretty and it's in a great location. We would bring everybody together and our, our events in Indianapolis are the first and third Wednesday of each month from 6 to 8 p.m. So instead of doing them at a co-working space, we decided to do a Zoom, test it out. And I'll say our, our first Zoom was, it was comical. I had been using Google Hangout. What, what had you been using for the last few years? Um, so we've, I've, I've used Zoom. Okay. Um, We've also pivoted to using Microsoft Teams, and we've used Slack as well for kind of that group. Instant group communication. Yeah. We, it, likewise, um, we use Slack and Asana for project management, instant messaging, and then we were using Google Hangout as our platform to do in-person meetings for years. I just did a Teams meeting the other day. That was a really good. I was impressed with Microsoft's product. And then because what we needed to do was we needed to tape the startup study halls, uh, we wanted to have that online chat you can do. And we wanted to be able to have separate rooms if we needed to. We thought, all right, let's test Zoom. Our first Zoom startup study hall was comical because we couldn't quite get control of some noise that kept happening. Yep. And then we, we figured it out. We figured it out. 
And then by the second one, we had that under control. And so it was, it was really good. I'd say the thing we're trying to figure out now is if you have 30 people in a room, it's a little more difficult to have a natural conversation uh, than it is in person. Because in a room, you can just literally physically move from group to group and, and chat. Whereas now, I think that when you are the host of a Zoom, you've got to make a concerted effort to make sure everybody participates. And if it's so big, then you've got to do the breakout rooms where people can just have conversations. I found that six is kind of the magic number, both at restaurants, in in in-person meetings, and on Zoom. That number has remained consistent for me. I think six is the maximum number of humans you can get together to have a meaningful conversation where everybody is truly able to contribute in some way. So I'm... I, in my experience, I have validated that through Zoom now. And so we will use the rooms for when we do breakouts. The nice thing about startup study halls is it's someone presenting for a while. So you get there, you socialize, somebody presents, and then you can break up and and we can utilize that technology. So for us, like, and we've done it, we did a, a, a Cinco de Mayo virtual hangout where we encourage people to make your whatever version of a margarita you wanted to make and, you know, whatever you were <laughs> eating. And we just hung out and, and chatted. And in that case, what I did was I just said, hey, let's, let's, we talked a, a little bit about the, the history of Cinco de Mayo. And, and then we talked about, let's talk about our travels. Who's been to Mexico? What was, you know, your greatest experience there? And we got to, to share that. So that was a little more like kind of like formalized networking, which some people are more comfortable with because they don't, have to feel forced into a conversation. They know that people mm-hmm. will listen to them and they have the prompt, right? Um, right. I, I kind of liken it to when you're hosting a party and you get those. And I am not from Indiana and I love Indiana. I only have one critique of Indiana and that is people arrive to parties early. And I am a big never <laughs> arrived to a party early. <laughs> if, you, if you come to a Kristen Cooper party early or on time, you're going to get a job. Um, but people want jobs anyway, right? Like they come in and they're just like, I'm here early. Nobody's here yet. I need purpose. So um, I think when you can utilize Zoom and know that you've got a lot of people there and you're going to give them opportunities to be heard, I think that works well. And then, uh, you know, talk to me in another month to six weeks to see how like the smaller conversations break down. I think we, we need more time to test that. But the other right. thing is, I can't wait till we're back in the physical spaces like Platform 24, while simultaneously, I will say, I'm going to follow the science and the medical experts. We won't bring people back in place until we are absolutely certain that it's safe for them. So right now, we know that through July, we're going to be 100% virtual. I hope the science community is able to do something so that we can get together sooner. But if we all have to be six feet away from one another, we can be closer virtually. So it'll be yeah, definitely uh, very interesting. I think I think with the move to all of this remote stuff, you get um, you really see kind of the individual personalities of people and how they either are like presenting themselves um, visually or, um, you know, my example is, is I I'm, I'm not a good networker. I'm going to just say it. I'm not good at just walking up to a random person and introducing myself and telling them what I do and everything. 
But if I'm on Zoom, if I'm on a Zoom call and somebody prompts me to tell a story about something, oh yeah, absolutely, I'm ready to go. Like that, I'm I'm ready to kind of do that performative. Um, I'm center stage, but I kind of have this barrier of of technology. Yeah. And then you get the people who who you know they don't they can't grasp on 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 the Zoom calls or the or the you know the virtual um the, the virtual meetings and and you get the things like an entire you get a, an entire call where the the CEO asks a question about hey it, does anybody have anything to add about said topic and it's yeah. silent. <laughs> like like everybody's muted everybody's staring at the camera because it's 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 terrifying for some people they they don't know how to be you know we're all you're all on television now right like you you're on those calls and your entire you know background of whatever wherever you are and it's it's scary to people definitely and and i think that as we transition we're going to get better. Everybody's going to kind of get better at this remote sort of thing. And eventually as we be able to physically see people again, I think it's going to be, you know, we're still going to use those tools. I I think everybody's learning a lot about all of this remote stuff. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are realizing, yeah, maybe I don't need to be physically in the office or I don't need to be, you know, I'm more productive at home or the opposite of I need to get out. I need to not have that 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 kind of separate space yeah um, which is what of a lot of our members tell me is i just i can't work from home i need a separate space because of my dog just maintenance my children all you know all kinds of different different reasons but um yeah we'll we'll see over the next couple months how how we uh how everything sort of shifts and changes and everything and, and we're obviously looking closely at uh, guidance from local and state governments and, and, and making sure that everybody is safe and healthy. Yeah. I think you'll have someone that has some of the personality traits like mine, which are, you like to be with people. I like my alone time as well. However, I want to get back into the, the co-working spaces. I will probably do it with similar frequency that it was before and what once things go back to a healthy state. And I think people who are, you know, a little bit more in their head most of the time, they'll come back too, but probably with the same feelings as before. One of the things that I've observed, uh, Chris, is that I think a lot of folks are also getting Zoom fatigue, right? Because they're on those meetings all day. And so I just had somebody reach out to me today and say, hey, you know, I I haven't been doing anything on social media. So while there is a massive rise right now in online communities growing and being a great place to build relationships, refer work, you've also got a group of people that they're feeling burnout. So I think and, and burnout, you know, once you have a break, hopefully you can come back to it and you can understand that by being involved in one capacity, if the outcome is greater than some of the, the negative effects, then it all return to it, all engage again. But I think it will be interesting, and it's probably something we'll take on uh, in the next uh, month and a half, but it's understanding how to deal with the uh, Zoom fatigue, with the still staying connected to people because uh, you were you were sharing with me that everybody has broached 
your availability to support your customers uh, in different ways. And uh, some people are, are very much, you know, we're here as you need us. Some people, I think, have overcompensated by just adding more meetings. And I'd say within the first week or two, we said, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. Um, we will, we made adjustments on our website, so it would be easier for people to access some resources. However, we thought rigorous consistency is going to be important right now. And we don't want to overburden people. So I think that I saw a couple of companies that were like, we're going to do more. We're going to just keep putting more out there, which just means, oh God, that's one more thing I have to go to now, even if it's online. Yeah. So I think, I think we're going to see that kind of like the, the, um, the ocean kind of like came into shore. And I think it's going to pull back a little bit because I don't think people will be able to keep up with the consistency of that. Oh, I'm here for you. And I'm setting up this online cocktail thing, you know, once in a while is fine, but I, I don't want to be committed to that weekly. It's too much. So I think yeah. it's, it's again, understanding it, it's, it's, it all comes down to customer feedback, right? Are we checking in with people to understand what do you want? Frequency is important, whether it's ordering toilet paper online or if it's setting up a, a social gathering on Zoom. You know, we have to understand what do you need and, and could those needs change over time? Definitely. So I think it's just a good reminder to all of us that we've just got to be cognizant of what our customers need from us and be constantly collecting that information so that you can be giving them what they need and what they want. And, and that's how we'll keep them. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I think that people are realizing the fire hose of what the internet can be now <laughs> and how much can be, how much content can be at, you know, you, you thought your email was, was unorganized and, you know, full of, of spam and everything now, but you know, it's 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 just coming at you from from every single direction, and, yeah. and you I think it's going to train. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna train a lot of people to say, maybe I'm not going to check my have my email open all day, or I'm not going to be I, you know I'm going to not do all of the social Zoom calls that my company is putting on, and kind of turn that off. I know yeah. that my sister has told me you know, multiple times over the last couple months that I need to, you know, not stare at a screen for <laughs> an hour a day. <laughs> you gotta get those Legos out. Are you doing a Lego right now? I, I do have a Lego. I have a couple Legos that I'm, that I'm having. Uh, I've got the International Lego? Space Station um, and I have the Treehouse as well. So Ooh. those are re um, kind of in progress, but, but yeah, exactly. Like, like be, being able to not be, connected and on a screen and and constantly stimulated i think people are being like okay i've been had too much screen time i need to punch out at this point yeah so <clears throat> sorry um where can we find all of where where can we find you online speaking of online <laughs> where's the best place to find the startup ladies the startup ladies excuse me the startupladies.org and just fyi Dot orgs can be for-profit and non-profit. We are a for-profit entity. We think it's really important to lead by example because we think that you can grow a scalable company and make a positive social impact. So the Startup Ladies is a for-profit entity and you can find us at thestartupladies.org. And um, when members join, what's your next uh, 
you said first and third, right? Uh, what's your next uh, online virtual event we can join? Uh, it is uh, the Wednesday after next. So it will be Wednesday, May 20. Uh, Maureen Sanner is the principal consultant of uh, and of marketing services for LiftBridge CXO. And we are going to be talking about uh, strategic branding, especially during COVID. And, and how can you... One of the things that a lot of companies tend to do is decrease the amount of money being spent on marketing during a time like this. And we're going to talk about the strategy you need to be building brand awareness into reaching out to new potential customers and how you use your brand to build better and stronger relationships with your current customers. Great. Well, I think I will probably be joining that if I can. Yeah. And uh, Kristen, thanks. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate, appreciate your time. The startup ladies dot org. You got it. Thanks, Thanks for so listening. much, Chris. Thanks, Thanks Kristen.